I'm so pleased to be here today with Marin Krings and, of course, Alicia Fall, our founder. It's good to see I you am. both. Thank you. Alicia, please share with us how you know Marin. How did this come about? She's oh. the author of an incredible new book called H is for Hemp. Yes, yes. I had the fortune of Marin reaching out to me. Um, when she was working on her book, she was doing interviews. And for some reason, she decided I would be a good interview. <laughs> not quite sure what she was thinking at that time, because I was not one of the experts that she was speaking to. But she was going for a different perspective. She was looking at the indigenous perspective and the humanitarian side. And, um, and so she reached out. We had a Zoom call. Marin, we, what did we do? Maybe three hours, four hours on our first call, we just, we went down every rabbit hole under the sun. Yes, I think that's a very, very tight description of what happened. <laughs> yes, and, and you know, I think we've been kind of attached at the hip ever since because yes. we've done a lot of travel together. We've done a lot of presentations together. As a matter of fact, we're meeting right now. I'm speaking to you from Amsterdam. Marin is on her way here. We're going to speak again on uh, Monday. Um, all about her book. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Latvia um, speaking there. Um, maybe a month or so before that, we were at NOCO in Colorado speaking together there. Um, yeah, yes, it's been a wonderful journey. Doesn't oh, it seem like the bandwagon without the music? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Uh, Alicia has the music. That's perfect. I was just going to say, we got the music on board after all. And Alicia, I always am impressed about your humbleness because um, that might be that you're not the expert on industrial hemp, but when it comes down to connecting hemp and humanity, I would say you're one of the few experts out there who has a big, a fantastic, and a really authentic story to tell. So that was not by chance I contacted you. <laughs> Well, you know, it's a different perspective because the reality is that we took something that was given to us, right? We made a plant illegal. The absurdity behind that and the impact on the environment and also particularly with the BIPOC community, the negative impact it has had has been overwhelming. So to be able to speak, to do, to be in the communities where the people have been impacted, to experience the regions where the environment has been impacted. I can certainly speak to that. Yes. I wonder, Alicia, if you would go into that a little bit more before you jump off, um, or if you'd like to stay. How should we do that? <laughs> um, I, I think I'll, I'll stay for a little bit, and then I'll let Maren go ahead with it. And um, I can certainly jump in at the end and and um and say my thank yous okay okay sounds great well we uh i had the pleasure of meeting marin as well when she was in denver to launch her mm -hmm. book h is for hemp which was march 26th uh in conjunction with noco the the hemp conference the global hemp conference that mm -hmm. happens here in colorado every year and mm -hmm. that was such a pleasure to meet you in person and to be here and to really learn a lot more about your book. So this is really going to be a wonderful conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. Excellent. I do have to say, isn't this quite stunning? Usually you always meet people online first, not vice versa. We actually changed the game there. <laughs> yes, fantastic. which I which I love. Yeah, that was wonderful. Great. Yeah. So I want to ask you, Marin, about your background. What uh, what caused you to get interested in hemp in the first place? 
Well, uh, my background is I'm a photographer and I have authored already three photo books. So um, bookmaking was certainly something that I had become a liking of, let's put it this way. And that seemed to be a good format to output longer and more in-depth uh, stories. And as a photographer, I had always, bless you, um, I had always had a focus on humanitarian uh, issues. So it was social documentary photography that I did actually from the start on. And, you know, over the years of becoming a professional photographer, um, solidifying myself a little bit more in the, in the commercial game in Europe, um, I started to kind of drift more and more away from that. And I know after releasing my third book, I was really yearning to go back to these roots of real storytelling. And of course, all of the other storytelling I did was just as real as it is now, but it was on topics that to me started to, yeah, they weren't really moving me from, from, from the bottom of my heart. Let's put it this way. And I was really intrinsically trying to get connected back to this humanitarian so source of, of storytelling. And when I set out, I had a mind to report or document on the refugee crisis, which was, you know, kind of at its height still in Europe in 2016. And I didn't get too far when it already started that this little tiny hemp plant kept crossing my path. And it was pretty absurd because it was always on very um, unexpected moments that something happened and it was about hemp. And... Then, you know, long story short, after a month, I realized that hemp, this one tiny little plant, was addressing all of these things that I was trying to tell the story on about the refugee crisis, because I kind of wanted to get away from just, you know, documenting what was happening in Europe. But my intrinsic search was, why are people fleeing their home? Like, what has to happen to a human being to be displaced from their families, to be separated from their origins, from their roots, from their culture and everything? And suddenly the answer kind of became hemp because it clothes, it feeds, it heals and addresses humanity. So I could address already a substantial part of these problems that... Um, not just refugees, but humanity in general, when it gets displaced, um, experience. And that was the moment when, you know, I kind of still piddled around for a couple more months. And then after half a year, I realized, okay, well, this is just becoming more and more serious. It's going to be hemp. How hempy and in which structure and, and with what storyline at the base of it, I had no idea. And I think this was part of the journey being a little bit crazy and a little bit longer than expected. <laughs> did you did you feel like there was sort of a divine intervention there like a like little those little clues came along of that you know or some kind of life purpose clarification that happened? Totally, totally. I mean usually I will say that there were maybe one or two times beforehand that I was really driven by a story in a way where I completely, you know, re directed my entire lifestyle to fit making that story. It had happened, but in this way, it was, I would say, the most extreme that had happened because basically I had moved into my car just for a couple of weeks slash months to tour through Europe and get a bit of a grip of that scene. And then after these couple months, I realized, well, if it's hemp, I'm not going to move out of this car until this story is done. And I ended up living in my car for almost four years touring what was it, four continents, 26 countries. I toured pretty much everything of Europe, Central Europe, all the way up north to Scandinavia. The furthest south I came was Morocco. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the really long stretches I didn't do in my car, all of them. I did some of them on train, like uh, Mongolia. I did go to China on, on a plane. And then, you know, we had Turkey and Russia, um, span through Russia on the Trans-Siberian train. So, the, you know, all of these travels coming from today's moment where we have a war sort of in our heartland of Europe, I realized that this story probably in five years, I will realize was even more than just hemp and just this reconnection to, you know, how can we save shelter and and keep secure humanity i'm realizing now also because now that i've been on the book tour for two and a half months and alicia really summarized it nicely we've been traveling shoulder to shoulder for weeks now months actually 
Yeah, yeah, it's almost two months now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's truly, it's been two Through months. Through the States and in the in EU, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. You're a, you are both together, especially a force to be reckoned with. That's amazing. And you complement each other so well on your knowledge and your background on this topic, you know. I, um, and, Lauren, and you if, were I, if I may add one tiny thing, because I think it has an urgency for, for today's political situation. Exactly, Alicia, what's happening with you and I, these networks that are created now because we get to know each other and we have a common mission that we want to follow. We have ideas we want to push forward. You have your longhouse with the indigenous community, the work in Haiti to do. I, I am adamant about placing this hemp story within the industry, within you know, different industries that are not connected to hemp now, but that could solve a lot of the, excuse my uh, frank wording here, their, their, their dirt in these industries by using more hemp as a replacement material. I'm also realizing that there's a lot of human connection that has been built up, which I think if our entire world was connected the way we three are connected right now, and a lot of these, you know, extended networks that we all have together, we can be fighting wars because we all love each other and we're all one family. And I know this sounds horribly hippie and cheesy right now, but I think we all know what, what this is. You know, We all go with a little tiny backpack to other countries and we know we're being taken care of by our good friends. Yeah, and, I, and you know, I've spoken about this a number of times. The people in the hemp, the industrial hemp industry, I feel like are family over and over and over again. You can meet someone within this industry and within moments you feel like you know each other because you're on the same path. You yeah. want something better for the planet. You want something better for the children. Yeah. You have the same underlying values, right? Yes. You have the same yeah. underlying values that are so important that it gives you this common ground in the first place. And also you said, Marin, about how, how this solves so many different problems I think it also demonstrates how we are all connected, right? All mm -hmm. the problems of the world are connected. All the Absolutely. solutions can be connected. You know, I love that and how you were talking about that earlier. Um, would you like to add anything else about that? <laughs> well, I, I will say that um, rarely ever in my life have, have I stumbled up on any story or let's put it very specific on any plant or any one object that opened so many different pathways to me because you know I've, you know obviously if you look at the book it it's it's not really thin <laughs> it's got a lot of chapters in it but i'm zipping through literally all of the really big uh you know topics in life it's food it's you know cleaning our soils it's building materials it's plastics it's textiles it's uh paper it's uh you know i'm I, i'm not going to count down all of the chapters right now but but there's basically everything that humanity needs in some way to structure a life and to survive in any place on our earth um is being addressed by this one plant and it was a tremendous challenge for me to I mean, the challenge in the beginning didn't seem one because I was so fascinated by the plant. I just kept on traveling and I, you know, it was kind of like a pinball going off the wall. Like I'd go to one project, I get a next lead, I'd go to the next country, follow that lead, next lead. And five months later, I'm like, whoa, how, how did I get to Iceland? How did I get to Mongolia? How did this happen? And then you're kind of refollowing your trace lines and you're realizing this is all becoming pretty intuitive pretty arbitrary but at the same time when you know what you've done it makes perfect sense but the problem and the huge challenge was to put it into one book what is going to be the structure of this arbitrary i mean to most people arbitrary seemingly travel that i did where they just go like where are you now why did you go there what, what's the purpose of that and then you get lost in these lengthy explanations of, you know, fiber and fiber only works in China. That's why I had to go to China. <laughs> so, yeah. That's amazing. You know, um, before we dive into the paper that you created for mm -hmm. the book and the more content about the book, about more about hemp and the solutions, I would love for you to share a little bit about the personal journey of a living in your car for four months 
and B, what you interspersed throughout the book, which was your private journal and your thoughts and your your reflections about all of this. I think that makes the book so personal and so it comes alive a little more. I mean, you have a ton of stories about the people you met as well who are doing good with hemp, but but share with you, share, share with us a little bit about those two things. So um, I, I need to correct you quickly. It's It wasn't four months. It was actually four years, but it, I, I had the four years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I set out with the intention of four months. <laughs> I knew it was four years. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there was this gradual um, journey of discovery in my life because, yeah, you move into a car thinking you're going to be there just a couple of weeks. And then, you know, you're, you throw an ISO mat into your car, a sleeping bag, a toothbrush, and that's it. And then the first night you realize, oh, these hiking shoes next to my head while sleeping are just disgusting. One problem. Next problem, you don't have water. You didn't think about that one. You thought you were just going to be fine with your two liter water bottles. Oops, didn't work, especially not in hot Italy in the summer. So what happened is there were a lot, I mean, just thousands of teeny tiny findings, too small to really address them in an official chapter of a book. And to me always, um, I mean, I was very self-aware about this personal journey I was doing and I will say in the beginning I was sometimes even embarrassed about it because I think I spent two months trying to figure out how I could keep my personal hygiene to a point where nobody would at no point and ever know that I'm living out of a car where I don't have electricity I don't have flowing water I do not have a bathroom and no shower and I honestly don't remember anybody ever saying you know what you really do smell like you're living in your car (laughs) so it was yeah, I mean, these these were very elementary things. But the thing is, when you're living in your car, this suddenly becomes your life. You realize you get up at four in the morning instead of at eight in the morning because you have to figure out where you go to the bathroom, how you're going to wash your face, how you're going to get dressed and not look even dirtier than the night before when you took the dirty clothing off. There was so much logistics about making that happen with no, you know, common grounds of a house and 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 all these nice things that we call our normal life that we usually don't even pay attention to that we have them and um i was very adamant about keeping it out of the entire story of ages for him but i realized that when i started working with my wonderful story doctor pauline bakker in amsterdam she mentored me through literally the whole process and i will say without Pauline Bakker, this book would have never taken on the form that it took now. Of course, it took a couple more people, a very good editor, a very good book designer, Ricardo Bayes, uh, my editor, Alva Leong. I mean, all of them, you know, added their magic to the book. But it was especially Pauline who kept urging me and saying, Marin, you have to include that personal story. You can't separate it from the book. It's, it's, it's your story. You, you are becoming part of that hemp. And I kept saying, no, no, no. I mean, it took her one one year, literally, to convince me to write these personal stories. And what is in the book now is small diary entries that are sort of giving very um, reduced snippets of car life, of my reflections on it, of the little mishaps, of, you know, how did I first meet a person that introduced me to hemp and all these little things that kind of make the whole story happen. Um, there's going to be a second book that's already written. I just need to find the publisher for it, um, which is a long, um, how do you say, a, a long version of these personal stories, which kind of follow oh. the hero's journey. And it, it'll yeah. be a real reading book. So it, beautiful. this that's really beautiful. was, yeah, all these findings actually triggered the interest in sustainability in me because I realized you know, you come from living in a house where I am right now, a studio, click, clock, light on, light off. Everything comes at your convenience. And suddenly there was none of it left. And you realize how much you had. But you always, unfortunately, have to lose everything you have in order to realize what you had. And that really Absolutely. made me reconsider, you know, what what is it that we need and how do we treat the things that we have? And so th- th- there was a lot of these uh, personal story and personal questions I asked myself that basically pushed the hemp book forward. I am sure that that was 
literally life-changing for you in such a positive way. Like you are a different person than you were in such an incredibly positive way from that experience. You know, I'm sure of it. Alicia, did you want to share anything else before you pop off? I know you have to go. Um, you know, I thought that this is, I'm in this beautiful refuge here. I, I'm surrounded by nature. And of course, now suddenly it's starting to get very busy around here. It's not as quiet as it once was. Oh, but we just lost mine. I'm here. Oh, there, there Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, I have tremendous amount of gratitude for Pauline. Uh, thank you, Tamara, and I've met her. We have spent time together. As a matter of fact, we're going to be getting together again this week. And I'm grateful for her guidance on everything you've done around this book. Because there are every little snippet, every little detail is really telling of who you are and the challenges and the drive and what is needed, you know, to for you to have completed this book and for hemp to return to the state that it needs to be. You know, the, the two of them go hand in hand. They really do. So I think Pauline's suggestions, and well, I know that they were more than suggestions, <laughs> but her push for you to put these stories in there yeah. were key for the success of your book. I think so too. And I think it was uh, worthwhile listening to Pauline and, and I'm so glad she had the stamina to keep pushing me forward and saying like put the personal story in there i will also say that i think there's a bit of a psychological effect in it i mean we i think we all i mean you know i would say if we were in an in-person event i would say lift your hands <laughs> if you're not affected by this someone standing in front of you and shaking the finger and saying we need to do this different we need to do that and we need to do this i think we've lived in that age and era of the climate crisis, or I rather like to say socio-ecological crisis, we've lived it in, in it for long enough now for people to get really, really ingenuously tired of being scolded and you know pointed the finger at about everything they do wrong. Mm -hmm. Just pointing out what people do wrong doesn't really motivate us to do it right or to even get better at what we're doing. And I think... Um, I had a tendency to veer off into, you know, I was being extremely self-critical about what I was doing. I went down to the point where I think I was nuts enough to rather take the bike than hop on a plane. <laughs> so there were these moments when I got so radical towards myself that it didn't occur to me that what I was doing would actually negatively impact people, making them feel and think that I'm expecting them to also be the same radical way like me, like don't use electricity, switch off your fridge, stop eating meat, stop eating dairy products and all that stuff. Just because I chose to go down that rabbit hole and see how it worked for me and the car wasn't an option because cheese dairy products start stinking, they go bad, so is the meat. So it was all natural, but it doesn't sync with people who are not living in a car, who are not going through the situation. And by never or by always trying so adamantly about cutting out my personal story to the big hemp story, I think people started losing that connection. What was, you know, I, I, obviously I was a critical character at that point already. And I think it made me a very un, uh, unlovable person. Unless I shared my personal story, that brought it back for the people. And they were like, ah, oh, now I kind of understand where you're coming from. Mm. And I think that's natural thing in life right i mean we yeah. might be speaking to somebody who's a refugee who might not appreciate me bragging about living without electricity food and all that stuff because they don't have a choice right now that's their daily horrible life that's happening without them having put any conscious choice into that so i am very aware that every story has multiple angles from which you can come at them and i think we need to be very careful so i decided if, if I nail on anybody, I'll nail on myself. That's an easy one. <laughs> so people can sit back, enjoy that, and they either come along on the right or they have a good laughter about somebody who kept running into walls over and over again. Oh, my goodness. Alicia, thank you. Bring up, yeah, I was going to say, Maren, you bring up a really crucial point. It is everybody's perspective, right? It's our experience and perspective. And we are so quick. Humans are so quick to judge. We do yeah. it over and over and over again. Um, so thank you for those reminders. Um, well, 
I, I think I have feeling... to remind myself all the time. That's why it's always good to say it out loud. <laughs> You're a worst critic. Um, I'm going to hop off so the two of you can continue without me. Okay. At least As, it fact, I'll be in the back. I'll be, be I'll be in the backstage. It was See lovely later. seeing you, and I'm super excited to catch up with you in person in a couple of days. And we'll yes. be back on stage on Monday yes, next we week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies. Thank you, Alicia. <laughs> okay, Marin, let's keep talking about this. It's such it's such a, an amazing topic. Um, I wonder if you could give a very brief for a few viewers who might not be as familiar with hemp as others. Can we just give like literally like a two minute summary of how hemp is used? You know, just kind of a list of all the different ways that hemp is used. Sure, absolutely. And I appreciate you circling back to the beginning because you really took a cold start and jump into the water here. Um, I'm looking at my book index right now to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. But basically, okay. hemp can can really cover everything. So one of the most important things is obviously you can make food out of hemp. It's a superfood, which means uh, it has all the omega-369 fatty acids. It's extremely healthy. So eating hemp as a food source will, number one, keep you really well fed because hemp so protein... Technically, it's a grain. It's like a grain, like a... It's not considered a grain. The hemp, uh, the hemp fruit is called a hemp nut, and it's a teeny tiny nut. So yes, it does look more like a grain than actually a nut nut. Okay. But it has the the fatty oils, um, just like nuts do. So it's extremely, it's tasty, but it's also it's got a lot of nutritional value, fibers and protein, and so it's. I mean, I lived for a good part of my car life really off hemp protein and hemp seeds because none of yeah. the two would really go bad. And I just put it into my coffee in the morning, the hemp protein. And funny enough, oftentimes I wouldn't be hungry until three o'clock in the afternoon, realizing wow. that I hadn't really, of course I had eaten something, but I hadn't really had the classical meal you would consider, yeah. you know, like bread wow. or, or something. Yeah. Okay. So, Food is one. Then we have medication, which obviously is one of these topics that's always difficult to address because there's so many countries that still consider cannabis and THC an illegal drug, mm -hmm. which it is not. But it's, you know, for medical purposes, it's used widely, you know, from cancer treatment to rheumatism to epilepsy and spasticism. The list is never ending. And um so there's a high, you know, of course, I'm not going to make any healing promises here, but I know that a lot of people are using hemp, uh, cannabis and hemp oil and cannabis oil and all these different uh, varieties quite strongly to, to heal themselves from usually rather bad diseases. Um, it's really considered other, a medicinal plant, like many other medicinal plants that are from nature, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's also why it was the first domesticated plant by humanity, because obviously people knew that already. So they, you know, they were happy because they grew that one, um, that one plant and they got their medicine, they got their food, but also they could extract the fiber, make ropes, um, sacks to carry things, even the bows for bow and arrow for, you know, especially in the, you know, medieval times. Um, well, sorry, medieval times, bow and arrow wasn't so much the sorry but way back when yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and then you know nowadays we still use the fiber we use it for insulation material on houses we use it for clothing um we use it for um well there's many many different grades of the of the textile fiber so you can go from very fine textiles which you know if you look at this jacket here it's a knitted jacket it's super soft but this is hemp and so is the shirt I'm wearing. And that's also not a stiff cloth or, you know, rope-like material. So there's very different grades of it. Um, then you can, it, you know, our new technologies obviously allow for much more. So we have biocomposites, which in the industry, they're called hemp plastics. Hemp plastic kind of displays a little bit of a maybe misleading uh, context because it's not that you can take hemp oil and make 100% plastic out of it. You're basically taking the hemp fiber and taking that as the structural reinforcement with bio composites 
and you know most there are already organic biocomposites so then that becomes a very organic plastic usually recyclable so hopefully we won't find that again in oceans and things um let me see what else um oh paper <laughs> i'm forgetting uh, yeah. The yeah. <laughs> yeah paper is something that's also been very historically anchored so all of the paper um you know up until the lutheran bible literally everything was made on hemp paper when i say hemp paper i do need to add that then uh, paper was made from old rags, old clothing. And since clothing was usually made from flax and hemp, which we called under an umbrella uh, terminology that was called linen. So there were these linen collectors or rag collectors that then would grind up the, the linen and then make the paper pulp from it. So there was a huge amount of hemp in the paper way back when, which meant very little chemistry, uh, very little you know, the, 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 the lignin that is in trees, there's lots less, sorry, my English is deteriorating, a lot less uh, lignin in hemp than in a tree. So what happens is we don't need to use as much chemicals on the hemp to extract all of this glue. And therefore the paper doesn't fade away so quickly because with the hemp paper, we have the problem that there's so much of the ground chemicals still left in the paper that, you know, we all know that. Put, take a regular piece of paper and set that in straight sunlight and place an object on it. Everything that's exposed to the sunlight will start turning yellow very quickly, especially with newsprint. And, you know, our papers fade away. They literally deteriorate and hemp is much more durable than that. So it would be a wise thing nowadays to actually go back large scale on hemp paper and not just have me do that one hemp book on hemp yes, paper. Yes, well, please share about that. We haven't spoken about that yet. You really did create with the printer um, a new paper for this right. book. So this book is printed on hemp. And so please share about that now. That's really an incredible part of your story. Yeah, so uh, what happened is very foolishly in the beginning of that journey, you know, when I was still like all excited about everything hemp and all these many things you can do from the plants. And I, I said, I declared, I'm going to make that book. I, I am going to make a book about the story and I will make it or print it on hemp. I thought that was going to be an easy one. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into there. Then I started researching or searching in general for hemp paper and I realized, oh la la, um, this is something really exclusive and even worse, it seems like nobody has any. So eventually I found a couple of German comp paper companies that are producing hemp paper, but they uh, didn't or nobody at that point made a paper that was fitted for offset printing in the right grammature that I needed for a book because you can't print a book on, you know, halfway like cardboard paper, which would be the artist's specialty papers. Then I, I don't know, this book would have probably been that high. I mean, it would have not gotten better. Exactly. That would not work. No. So I reached out to the paper manufacturer Hahnemühle in Germany and I asked them and I said, look, I know you're doing a hemp paper for fine art uh, photography printing. And I wonder if you can do the same thing for, for book and offset or digital printing. And um, they, they were open enough to actually step up and say, uh, we've never done that. Um, we, the, the book printing paper they've never done and so they stepped up and then it was a almost two-year process until we figured out the paper and you know all its com com composition and I will say I walked into this journey thinking like oh cool now I found somebody to make that paper um you know literally two years later I became a little bit of a paper specialist myself because we went through a lot of you know trial and error back and forth we had to do test printings realizing that you know what all the technical difficulties are when you're printing with a paper that was just not this was a first time after literally 90 years of prohibition when nobody had touched hemp paper anymore wow. so we were in for a lot of first times of course also a lot of you know loss money invested it i mean i get asked so many times why is the book so expensive the book is so expensive because it's printed front to back including the cover on hemp paper it's completely tree free 
it does come at a price. And the only way we can change that is by a lot of people hopping onto this wagon and joining, you know, to order hand paper, to print their, either it be yearbooks or books or whatever, brochures. I mean, anything can be printed on hemp. If more people join, we can make that happen and the price will come down eventually. But right now there's too little people willing to take that extra, you know, meter of of uh, of walking and i think it's the time is right we, we're having a complete crisis on the paper market there's yeah. not enough wood available that's why even the wood prices are accelerating and skyrocketing and i think that actually offers quite a fair chance to hemp to to celebrate a comeback i do think a lot of publishers and authors will consider it i know a lot of authors can insist on it with their publishers what kind of paper they want as a publisher myself i've published many issues of a magazine and nine books, and those were always on. And the standard has been post-consumer waste recycled paper, right? But it's still paper from a tree. Yeah. And so what you're offering is something that's extremely, totally different and completely tree-free, as you said. I love that term. <laughs> so um, so at the price will come down in the future. And I'm sure, I do think you're, you're right that the timing is getting there as most Many, many corporations are switching and realizing that, you know, the climate issues are real and, and there are non-carbon benefits um, that that really this falls into that category. Uh, yeah. Another use, I want to circle back now to the, the uses of hemp real quick and finish that conversation. I, I just thought of building materials with hempcrete mm -hmm. and perhaps there's others. Um. Well, I mean, if you go into, you know, uh, obviously we can always find like niche products and everything. I mean, I've seen skis and ski poles made from hemp. I've seen hemp guitars. Wow. I've seen a lot of really interesting stuff. Suitcases where the hard shell was made of hemp plastic. So this is all going into the hemp composite um, area, which is, I think, really, really, really gaining traction. Um, okay, that fits in there. That fits yeah. under biocomposites. Okay. Yes. Yes, that's all under the biocomposite uh, sector. And that's that's why, you know, th this is why it was so hard to find the structure on the book, because how do you bring together the skis, the suitcase and the guitar, unless you actually really address the topic of plastic only, and then you can kind of put these things into perspective and scheme. And that's why we went for the encyclopedia format of the book to make sure that people have a fair chance of literally open at any page of the book and just start reading what really hits their interest. So if you're into biocomposite, you might just want to read that one chapter and the other ones you browse through eventually later on or something. So it's really um, the whole book and the whole reading experience is very, um, I, I would say, organic or intuitive on that part, you know, which right, is also... Right. If somebody comes in and wants to know about building, then the building chapter will show you that there's not just hempcrete. You can do, you know, hemp, uh, uh, hand fortified uh, hempcrete building, which is a complete manual labor of love. Or you can buy a prefabricated brick and build a solid house with solid standing walls from hemp. Um, one of the things that will always be the same is that it's always a carbon negative building material because it it takes up so much more CO2 than it emits uh, during the process of planting, harvesting, preparing the building material, and then actually building the house. That um, it's, you know, how, how could we toss this out as an option to use during the climate crisis where everyone is trying to sequester carbon? The, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Offering a lot of options, yeah. So in about... Um five minutes, we'll be taking questions from people who are listening. Um, before then, would you want to share like the most, just whatever pops into your head about, because I know you have so many examples, but what's the one of the most profound experiences you had or products that you came across? You know what? This is such a difficult question that I decided to probably link it to the last or the last station I had been at with my travel now and to the next station I'm going to. So there's two things that really fascinated me. One thing, I'm just coming from Latvia together with Alicia. And at the last stretch of Latvia, I was actually um, joining Kristaps Iglitis, who's just starting a masterclass on hempcrete building, which I thought was 
ingenious because he's building a new tiny home and he's inviting people to come along on the building process so that they can learn how to do a zero kilometer hemp house. And that really like the zero kilometer hemp house that really struck me because I mean, I think in the building world, for anybody who knows building materials and how complex this can get and carrying stuff from left to right and ordering, you have so much material you need to get to be able to go ahead and build anything that it becomes quite, um, I think, charming to think that you can grow your own hemp field on one side. You know, take it through the decortication, which Christophs developed the decorticator. It's called the micro decortication, micro decorticator, the herd master. And it's a teeny tiny machine that he just uh, shoves the, the harvested hemp through. On the back end, the chives come out and these he takes and mixes with the limestone and the binder and just starts building his house. And that that really was phenomenal to see. And I recall, is that the same person? I think it is who, one of the points here, if I recall correctly, is that he's created this um, micro decorticator, how do you say that? Micro decorticator? Yeah. That allows individuals to build their own mm -hmm. homes with hemp and they don't have to have a huge giant piece of equipment that's unaffordable or difficult to, to use. Right. I mean, usually when you, okay, let's say the official way to build a home from hemp would be somebody, usually farmers or a cooperative of farmers, will grow the hemp in large quantities. Then they, they will bring their biomass to a uh, um, post-harvest post or decortication line and then prepare the material there to have the chives and the 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 herds and and you know fiber and and then you can buy that material but usually we're talking about hundreds to thousands of kilometers that this material is shipped from left to right to up to down to finally reach its destination where the hemp house will be built so Christoph's uh, invention of the herd master was really an ingenious one because of course even his machine is too expensive, let's say, for a family to say, I'm going to buy this machine for 10,000 euro. But if people put together, you know, and usually usually you live within a community of people who kind of support each other, who are all into building hemp. And I've seen it quite a lot over Europe that there's these cooperatives that together invest in one herdmaster. And then that herdmaster just travels around within the community and it is transportable in the car. So no huge machines, no tons of biomass that have to be transported from Netherlands to France, back to Italy and all that, because these are the parts like the, the supply chain issues of you know transporting stuff from left to right is really one of these issues that we keep forgetting when we're talking sustainability. That is awesome. <clears throat> um, I was hoping you would share that story. <laughs> <laughs> And what's that word, Heartmaster? What was that word? Yeah, it's the Heartmaster. Um, it's basically H-U-R-D and then master. And the herd is that part of the stem from the hemp plant that you use for building. Ah, and great. I'd be happy. I don't know if there's any way to share links uh, later on, but I can always, if anybody were to be interested, I mean, we can share the link later and make sure that people have yeah. access to their research. So we yeah. have a question here, but if you'd like to type the link in the private chat, then Aisela will take care of that for us and get it to everybody. I am copying it into the private chat now so everybody can get it. Great. And then, and then we go. we'll go for our question. There we go. Great. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So Yuri is asking, can you recommend a brand of hemp that you can purchase in the U.S.? A, a brand of hemp for what? For, for house building or... Um, I would I would need to know a little bit of the output idea because technically, you know, hemp has been usually a farmer already makes a decision on growing hemp. Like when they start growing hemp, they have to decide, am I growing for fiber? Am I growing for building material? Am I growing for CBD or for food? Yeah, I Comes see another note here. I see another note here from him. He was talking about grain, grains or oils. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm not really a consultant for farmers, and I don't want to want to do jobs that other people definitely have learned and invested much more time into doing. But 
Uh, I know from my research that a lot of people, at least here in, in northern parts of Europe and Central Europe, uh, use the Finola hemp for especially for the oil but that's more prone to to grow well and do well in the northern hemisphere so this this is a hemp uh, a strain that comes from finland or genetic that comes from finland and it definitely grows best up there so what you want to do is depending on where you live and what you want you do need to get in touch with people who grow hemp and who have a little bit of base uh, knowledge about it to make sure that you find out which you know there's a lot involved. Which kinds of hemp may you grow? Which ones are allowed by the agricultural standards? Because if the hemp shoots above certain THC levels, then it's not considered industrial hemp anymore and you might run into legal problems. So you know, whatever you do with hemp, make sure that you touch base. There's so many hemp associations in America um, and probably Alicia will be more uh, common to, to suggest. But even if you go to the NOCO website and look under WAFBA, you'll find a number of resources on hemp and can always... Yeah, Hannah, I'm, I'm just looking. Kona PUS. Oh, that's right. Hannah is also doing it in, in the USA now. Um, Hannah Gabrielova is a, is a wonderful uh, connection. I mean, she is one of these unlimited sources of knowledge when it comes down to different hemp kinds. And here, what about what about what uh, for, for eating? Really, just something to buy. Do you just recommend any particular brands or anything to look for for uh, food? You know what? I'll I'll give a diplomatic answer here. <laughs> I think what you should really all do is, if you're into hemp, connect to your local people because you know when we're talking sustainability, you need to make sure that your food is locally grown. Support your local farmers support your local uh, hemp networks that are already investing probably around 25 years of their time into bringing this plant back to life. So what you want to do is no matter where you are, connect to your local people and make sure you support them because there's no wrong hemp to be grown. And most of the people that do food, it's not rocket science. So any, any hemp food that will be produced is probably going to be a really good one. Yes, and Lisa Montgomery is sharing as well. White plume hemp through Evo Hemp Indigenous Lakota Tribe would be a good way to start too. So, yes. um, I Alicia is back, and I thought before we do start to wrap up, uh, Marin, is there anything that we did not discuss at all that you wanted to make sure that you shared with everyone? No, I think we really zipped through so many topics, and I feel. Um, no, I, I think we, we really covered it all. I mean, in, in fact, I will say that, you know, looking at the index of my book, we could probably fill another five hours of this talk to, to roughly touch all of the chapters in there. But, um, you know, whoever is interested, I do want to pitch this because this is not really accessible information on my website just yet. Alicia was kind enough to uh, store several books. She has about 100 books left in the United States. So there is a possibility for anybody in the United States interested in the book to order it at local. The, Ameri the United States are huge, so this is not so local, but at least it's shipping within the U.S. And if anybody wants to, um, th that's also offered on the website. As soon as you order from the U.S., you'll have the local shipping option. Oh, that's wonderful. Let's put your website up here as well. Just rattle it off and Aisela will get it up there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dot com. No looking good. Ah, uh, your name. Okay. MarinCranes.com. Yes. Alicia, welcome back. Thank you. Um, just so you know, this is where I am. So Ooh, nice. boys that hearing are birds in the background so but I'm which in this park are you in in amsterdam i'm dying to uh, place you uh, in amsterdam uh you know? you know what i'm in south amsterdam so but i can't tell you the name of the park because i don't yeah. know <laughs> it's okay. a big one <laughs> it's, it's looking wonderful. good <laughs> yeah it's beautiful i thought i would have a nice little backdrop uh, drop setting for today instead of being in the apartment so that sounds good yeah. Alicia, Lauren, so, what else would you I'm, like to share? I was just going to say, Maren, I'm so glad to see your face. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we've been wanting this to happen for some time. 
I know. And, um, and, you know, as things go for you and the next book release and all of those things, we'll definitely have to have you come back because there are going to be so many more stories along the way. Uh, yeah. I know you already have stories going from uh, Latvia back <laughs> to Germany. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll keep them under the seal for right now. <laughs> but it was surely adding material for uh, volume two of the book. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And we have several people saying, save a book for me in the chat. So, well, you can do that, Alicia. I know you'll check that later. And make sure you have that. Yep, we will make sure. We've got plenty of books. So, <laughs> I think this book is actually the resource for anyone interested in hemp at all. This needs to be, I mean, it's going to become the go to book resource for. Well, I, <laughs> no, you need to share the story on uh, the gentleman who they were getting ready to cart off in handcuffs, were they not? And he said, wait, read this book to the police. Share that yes. story. Yes, that's actually a good one. So one of the things that reached me in the very, I think it was the very first two weeks when I was staying with Alicia, we had just launched the book at NOCO. And then uh, my friend who was an early supporter of the book, uh, uh, Christoph Kirchler from Eco Passion in Italy, in South Tyrol, he contacted me completely excited and he says, you will not imagine what happened. I said, oh boy, it sounds dramatic. What happened? And then he said, well, I was at that uh, body body fair in Cologne and there were a lot of CBD products. And, you know, we still have that thing here in Europe with the novel food, which means that CBD is still for some considered as novel food and therefore you may not sell or consume it and all that stuff. And since, you know, the whole law situation, I mean, for those in the industry, it is completely clear, but even the police oftentimes doesn't really know, or even the equivalent to the FDA in the United States, in Germany, they're very confused because obviously there are no hemp specialists and there's nobody to really give them the full rundown of what's what what is cbd what is thc what is food what is a supplement what is you know when when does it go into medical purpose healing and all that stuff so um they were they were touring over the straight fair incognito in civil clothing and they kind of you know checked out his booth and uh were very curious about all the products he's selling he was very openly telling all the stories about the fantastic effects of cbd in the cream and balm and this and that and then when he was done they just turned around they were like well you know you're not allowed to, to sell any of this and he was like what? What are you talking about? And he was completely shocked. And there, there was a certain risk of this having legal actions to follow. And he he had the book with him. And he in, in that spur of a moment, he just told them, he's like, okay, look, before you go any further on this now, take this book, sit down over there in that seat, take 10 minutes, go through the chapter H is for health. And when you're done with that, We'll talk about whether you take me in handcuffs anywhere or if I'm just going to stay here and continue helping the rest of the world. And they sat down and they I, I found that really cool that they actually took the time and they sat down with a book. They they browsed through the health chapter and it has a lot of stories you know, of people with MS and really heavy disabilities, how they are using it. <laughs> and when they were done, they came back with a book and they said, is it possible to buy one? Because we really love it. I mean, this is like the first time we understood what this is about. And of course, you please go selling this stuff to everyone. <laughs> so it was a phenomenal, lovely story. One of those things that just, you know, I think Alicia and I, we both had a bit of tears in our eyes because that's so touching when, you know, good stuff happens and it doesn't take half of the world to convince one person that, what you're doing has nothing at all to do with bad intentions or possibly a drug. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the right people too. With yeah. When people have the authority to just take you away and they take the time yeah. to educate themselves before they take an action. Yeah. It makes all the difference in the world. 
Yeah, I I actually, you know, I wish they were listening because I totally congratulate them. And I think a lot more governments and legislation, legislative people, EU commissioners, all these people in these high political um, positions, they they need to start listening because they're there because we people wanted them to be there. But I think a lot of these people are forgetting that they have more of a common mission to follow up on than just their own intrinsic interest in whatever it is that's making them happy when they got out of bed. Because that's a lot what I'm seeing that the, the you know, the big picture, we're, we're starting to lose it. And that's why it all becomes so complex because you can't separate the world from the world in order to make it easier to understand. Circling back to that point that we're all connected, it's all connected, right? And the solutions are connected as well. Martin, would you please put the cover, front cover of your book up so we can just eyeball it one more time? <clears throat> Absolutely. Oh, let me take the batch of Hanemühle off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. The book is called H is for Hemp. And what's the absolute best way for people to get their hands on a copy? The best way is if you actually go to my homepage, the one that we posted in the chat, and literally on the landing page of the homepage, you'll already find the book and you'll have the option of purchasing it. And don't worry, as soon as you put in your country, it'll either redirect you to local shipping for the US or it'll address all the indiv individual shippings. I will say that, I mean, this is, I know we're talking to an American audience, so this might be slightly uh, mal addressed, but we will be, uh, we as Alicia and I will be part of Packhouses Weiche next week on Monday. I will have books there as well. So if anybody from the Netherlands is listening who wants a book and does not want to pay any shipping and handling, please be there at Packhouses Weiche and make sure you sign up for the event. It's free of charge. So anybody who's in here listening to us now can also join the Packhouses Weiche event. Uh, I will try to find a quick link for that. <laughs> and then, you know, if anybody wants to listen to Alicia and I talk a little bit more next week, um, please join us. That is wonderful. Thank you both so much. You guys are a force to be reckoned with. The two of you together is like, like my favorite thing. I absolutely love it. And I'm so excited that you're working together and moving forward together. And I can see a very big future for the both of you in hemp. I really do. It's amazing. So thank you so much. Thank you, Myrna. This was a wonderful thank talk. Thank Did you, you find the link for the conference? There it is. There it is. I'm, I'm redirecting everybody to my uh, website right now because I couldn't in the fast motion find the, the direct link. But if you go to this one, it'll link you up with the Packhouses Weicher website. Okay, I think it's going to appear on our screen any moment now. <laughs> okay, I think it's setting it. Yeah, backstage magic to happen. <laughs> Backstage it's, magic is happening, I'm sure. It's a it's a the name of your your website slash the name of the conference. And then uh I'm gonna give it another minute here. That let's just yes, here it is. Pack house the swigger. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much. Do you guys wanna just spell out the name of that conference so people can can uh, look it up on their own search engine? Pakhaus, P-A-K-H-U-I-S-D-E, Schweiger, let's see. It's a Z-W-I-J-G-E-R. There we go. We're back to school here. Thank you so much. For all the years of spending time in the Netherlands, you know, my Dutch is non-existent, almost. I think we're doing absolutely great. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm starting it's, to learn one one word a week in Dutch here. <laughs> well, you know what? You know, to pronounce it, it sounds better with a German accent than it does with, you know, mine. So <laughs> I don't get that feedback right now, but I like it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And, All right, and ladies. I really, really love this chat, and um, we'll see you next month, everyone, for another Lunch and Learn. Thank oh, that's you right. Awesome. I think we have Tamara Kantav coming on next month, or I, think so. I can't remember. Maybe so. All right. <laughs>
Wonderful. Have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. Still have our story.